and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. This week, coming to you with some fresh air. <laughs> I was going to tell you that we were coming to them with adverse conditions. I don't know if it's we adverse We might have to put the intermediate tires on this podcast. It, it's not wet out. We, no. We, we have a, a bit of a headwind. Right. Occasionally crosswind, you know, depending on which way we're going. So, you know, there is that issue. No, we, we're having... Um, some air conditioning issues in the studio. So the windows are open. That's why you, you hear the sounds of nature as we record, as opposed to our normal sounds of the animals. <laughs> <laughs> That's our studio audience, and most of the time the those sounds are snoring. Now we have birds that are singing, and they can be entertained by our podcast. And locusts and Not locusts. Cicadas. Cicadas. Yeah, that's true. We do not have locusts. Locusts is a blight. We have cicadas. See, where I grew up, the cicadas were also called locusts. So, really, 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 like locusts are like biblical plagues. They're just crickets, but they're just a lot of them. I mean, plagues. Okay. Cicadas come out. They buzz. They give that nice little like we're at camp sound. And you don't equate that with camp? No. I mean, that's like the sound of summer camp. Okay, it was just the sound of our neighborhood, but whatever. Well, you know, that and our neighbors possibly falling off their brands making a trampoline. But, you know. that That's a whole other story. We're not going to go there. <laughs> we are not going there. Where we are going to go, though, is we're going to go to um, what we occasionally call um, you ask and we answer, sometimes correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was you ask, we consider answering, we mock for a while, and then we finally get no, around we're to answering. We're not mocking here. No, we mock no. other people, not our listeners. We never mock our listeners. We love our listeners, every one of them. It, it well, it, it depends. I mean, Monisha, we, we, we mock her. We're going to get to her. Is she still we, in the news? We are going to get to her. Did she not get booted from F one? <laughs> we are going to get to Monisha. All right. But, but we had a listener question this past week. Yeah, Richard reached out to us, otherwise known as Charlie Victor, over in our comment section, um, who, yeah, somebody who has been listening to The Bloke and the Bird for a very long time, but it sounds like we're finally converting him to Formula One. It's very cool when we start having these, these converts into Formula <laughs> One. Um, I want to make a pause and take a giant left turn before we get into his question. Um you going to tell him that the boy finally grew into the shirt he's wearing? Yes. <laughs> or the, the shirt he gave him? The other day, we celebrated the t-shirts that he got for his 10th birthday by being actually able to wear them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's the coolest kid in Ohio with City of Angels chopper shirts on. <laughs> so we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um now, you had a great question that we sometimes forget that we do bring new people to Formula One because we're always talking about how awesome the sport is. And there are some rules that are a little bit confusing, like points and when points can change because of race distances and things like that. The one thing I want to start with is that under no circumstances is Formula One's system of points more complicated than IndyCar. Yeah, please don't ask us to explain the IndyCar points we system. We did. You can go back to a previous episode we, and we hear did, that. We, we did explain it. I don't think it was any better. I mean, you know, it, it was 
any more understandable. Um, I, the problem is I had to pull out the whiteboard, and this is a radio podcast, not a video podcast. Well, you, you get special points if you can touch the tip of your nose with your tongue in IndyCar. With your helmet on. Yes. That's important. <laughs> they do not give those kind of points in Formula One. Now, in a normal race, and that's, that's important to, to qualify what we're about to say, because there's some things that can tweak a little bit. But in a normal race, the way the points work in Formula One is points are awarded in a scale from first to tenth place. If you score lower than tenth place, you get no points. Correct. So, and, and this is per dri- on, on a driver basis. We'll talk about constructors in a second. But the way the scale works, first place gives you 25 points. Second is 18 points. 15 for third, 12 for fourth, 10 for fifth. Eight points for sixth, six points for seventh, keep that straight, four points for eighth, two for ninth, and tenth place gets just one point. Now, for on the constructor side of the house, the points work exactly the same. However, the way the constructors gets their points is they get the driver points. So if a constructor has two drivers in the top ten, they get the total of both drivers' points added to their constructor's total. Now, remember, in Formula One, there are two championships at stake every single year. There is a driver's championship that is measured by the single driver's points, highest points wins, and that is the championship for the best driver on the grid. Now, there is also a constructor's championship, Mm -hmm. and there are a set number of constructors. Each can enter up to two cars in the race. Generally, they all enter two cars. They are the sum of the their point strict is the sum of their drivers, as Michael just explained, and they're competing to be the best constructor. Now, in most modern Formula Ones, you can expect that the Formula top one races. Formula One races, Formula One seasons, you can expect that the top team, the top constructor, also has the world champion driver. Doesn't always work, but that that's way, not though. always the case. Because it is the combination of the two, if for some reason you had a particular driver that consistently fell outside the points, that constructor does not, would not be ranked as high because they, it's the combination of now, the two. Now, before you go too far off with the constructors, because yes. it's important to talk about the difference there, the one key exception to how points are put out there is that there, are, there is an opportunity where less points can be awarded. Yes. So that exception is when a race is suspended and cannot be restarted. In that instance, half points will be awarded if less than 75% of the race distance has been completed. And no points will be awarded if less than two laps have been completed. The other piece, and and, and this is important um, where there are ties on both sides, is that any driver who competes over 90% of the race will be classified as a finisher regardless of whether they were running as the winner took the checkered flag. And that's important because you sometimes see um, the list of the the finishers. Mm-hmm. And at the, it starts with the, P, you know, the people that started stopped, bleh, finished first, and it goes all the way down the list. And at the bottom of that list are the DNFs. Yep. And you'll notice that sometimes between the group of people that are DNFs, they did not finish, and the group of people that actually crossed the the line there are a couple of people that you would have thought hey wait a minute they didn't actually finish the race because they were no longer running 
but they're still classified, but not as a DNF. They got classified because they had run 90% of the race, and they got they wound up getting pulled off the, the track, you know, in the last couple of laps. You see it happen with Alonzo kind of a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. But it does happen. They get cla- classified as finishing a race. Now, while it gets you no points to finish races, it is key stats. Well, it, it's more than just that. And, and now this is where we go back to the constructors because – for the constructors, and, and the exact numbers are cloaked in mystery, and we get rumors of what the actual numbers are, but the, the only payouts that occur for points is in the constructors' championship. The drivers do not get points from Formula One, or, or do not get money from Formula One or the FIA for winning the championship or for any of their points. Now, they may have deals negotiated with their individual teams that is not made public that based on they get bonuses based on the number of points that they have. But the official prize money that is awarded from the series goes to a constructor. And the constructors only, only the, just like with points, only the top 10 constructors get prize money. This is what did in Manor last year, is that Manor fell out of the top 10 and lost their money. Now, keep in mind, I believe that we can have up to 13 teams mm-hmm. fielded in Formula One, which could put a max of 26 cars on the grid. But when you can only give money out to the first, the top 10, and if you had a field of 13 teams, you would have three teams that would be guaranteed to get zero money. Given the expense of Formula One, it is very difficult to maintain a team that is not winning part of the prize purse. Now, then becomes the question of, okay, so you've got more than 10 teams and only the top 10 drivers get points. Well, what happens if you have more than one team that doesn't earn any points because their drivers can't break the top 10, how do you rank them? Because you've got to figure out who that th- those bottom teams are and who's getting the money and who isn't. Mm-hmm. The way that works is that's looked at the finishing order and whoever has drivers who finish higher up. So back in the years when we had, say, uh, the, the Caterham and the Manners duking it out against each other, that was the question was, who were going to have the last two positions on the grid at the end of the race. And that's where also whether or not somebody gets classified as finishing the race as opposed to an outright DNF matters. Because if if you have one driver that finishes and three drivers that don't finish, your team gets classified higher than those other teams. So, And that's what breaks ties when points are tied. Um, Now, Very important things to remember is the best driver gets the most points. That wait, wait. Last year, there was a lot of controversy and talk of did Nico Rosberg win the championship or did Lewis lose it? See, and and this is where I'm, but but this is where I'm going to back you up. It's not accurate to say that the best driver gets the most points. It's accurate to say that the most successful, the most consistently successful driver gets the most points and wins the championship. That's, yes. That's, you are correct in the nuance that, of that. Yeah, and, and, and that's where I wanted to stop you. Okay, that you are correct in the nuance of that. I'm, I apologize. I didn't mean to misspeak. But I want to point out that it is possible consistency can 
propel you to the top of the championship oftentimes more than sheer number of podium successes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the reasons that we saw through the four wins of four years of Vettel wins, we kept seeing Alonzo yes. vying for the championship, and yet he wasn't at the top of the podium all the time, but he was consistent. Um, and that's a key piece. Consistency is one of the things that gets measured with the long season and the number of points that are awarded for every race. Keep in mind, there aren't that many points difference between first and second. Now, the other thing to mention, and I don't even know if you realize this, but with the exception of Monaco, Formula One races are of a near identical distance i did know that regardless of the track i did know that that's what varies the lap the lap numbers it's calculated in the regulations as the least number of laps required to exceed 305 kilometers Mm -hmm. some races take longer than others however due to the differing average speeds of circuits now where the exception is is monaco like i mentioned that race distance is calculated as the minimum number of laps exceeding 260 kilometers correct the the one thing that a lot of fans don't realize because we don't hit it very often i think we've seen it come close twice Mm -hmm. but we didn't exceed it and that's that there is a two-hour cutoff to all grand prix the race can't be longer than two hours red flags all the other stuff they cannot exceed that if it is exceeded the leading driver will be shown the checkered flag on the lap during which the two-hour mark elapsed and the way this works, and, and we saw this, I think it was in 2012 in Singapore, is it's either five or ten minutes out. Instead of seeing a lap counter, it changes to a countdown clock. Right. And once that countdown clock hits zero, out comes a checkered flag, and that's the end of the race. Correct. Now, it is two hours of running time. Mm-hmm. It is four hours total time. So red flags stop the clock. Mm-hmm. But you cannot exceed a four hours from lights out to checkered flag, no matter what. And then there's one other odd quirk that we have seen come up. And this happened in Korea. Actually, I think it was a, two years ago. It was the last year we had the race in Korea. It, I think it was the, was it the year after we saw the fire truck drive out in the middle of the race or the year that, that was one of the races that we also saw the fire truck come out during the race okay. without yellow flags. Um, but when the official shows the checkered flag, that's the end of the race, which makes sense. But if the official shows the checkered flag early, like a lap early, the race is over. Yes. We do not complete the rest of the races. Again, something that happened in, in Korea a couple of years ago, they showed the flag a lap early. checkered flag trumps lap count every time um so there are interesting little nuances and fun things i love the fun fact of that you know the the race itself can only be certain length long Mm -hmm. we hardly ever hit it you notice them start to think about talking about it if we have to red flag significantly during a race um typically for weather is what you'll see that happen they'll start talking about it when we've been red flagged for you know 30 minutes or so that they'll start talking about that time singapore and monaco because they have a tendency to pull out safety cars Mm -hmm. 
are two races in particular that it is most likely you will hit that limit. Um, I believe it's happened a couple. It, it's actually happened uh, once or twice in Singapore, and, and we came close the one time in 2012. Now, the other interesting thing to remember is laps conducted under safety car count as laps on mm-hmm. in a race, so they take away the distance and this includes if they start under a a safety car the first lap will be considered a formation lap and then every other lap during the start is the laps off the 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 number of laps and and that's something to 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 clarify also yes before the race starts they line up on a grid there's a formation lap that does not count however as once the formation lap completes, if the starting process begins and they have to abort the start for some reason, and we've seen this a few times, the cars go around in another formation lap. That formation lap does count toward the race total. Even though there's no passing, they mm-hmm. still line up on the grid for a normal start, but they tick off one lap from the total for the race. Right. Right. So those are interesting little nuances and things that, you know, some of the pundits and true F1 geeks really get off on. Um, Steve Matchett, I'm looking at you. Um, (laughs) And if you wanted to get any deeper, then you add the layer of tire geekiness to it and you now have the, the sum total of Formula One geekhood. So from points and some of the rules to our... 2016 world champion nico rosberg nico rosberg um there were some rumors floating around that um nico might be in contention for a seat at ferrari to replace kimmy reikinen we'll talk about kimmy's issues in a little bit um nico has said no i'm I'm retired i'm not doing this again (laughs) but one of the the reasons why he was in the news this past week, besides the fact that he was in London for F1 Live, and again, something we'll talk about in a little bit, um, a couple of weeks ago was, was the Goodwood Festival Speed. And we spoke that they were honoring Bernie and all of that. Well, one of the things that was on display there, besides Nico's world championship winning car, which he did hop in and drive up the hill, but his world championship trophy was on display there for the folks to see. After the event... The World Championship trophy was supposed to come back to Nico to his home in Monaco. Now, even though Nico has a private jet and all the other things that you're. Did they lose his luggage? They didn't lose. Well, no, his luggage was not lost. But for some reason, the decision was made that Nico's trophy would not travel back to Nico's home with him on his private jet or however it was that he made the trip. It was put in the mail. Oh, my. It was lost for five days. <laughs> they gave it to DHL, didn't they? I, that would be my guess. <laughs> because if anybody's going to screw up a shipment, it's going to be DHL. Hands Can't, down, DHL's going to do it. Can't you just see them slow down the truck and chuck it out at his apartment complex at the back of their truck, much it, like they did our luggage one year? Anything that DHL needs to needs to drop off, they will... They won't even slow down. They'll just fling it out the window. Yeah. Seen them do it. So I'm not a Snapchat user. So this doesn't mean a whole lot to me. I think you've actually been even opened up Snapchat. I don't know. 
I have, in fact, seen the inside of Snapchat. I don't have any Snap friends, so therefore I do not Snapchat. Maybe you should be friends with Lewis because he uses Snapchat a lot. Remember he got in trouble for playing with Snapchat at the True. press conference in Brazil? True. Well, I guess seeing how much Lewis likes Snapchat, Formula One has announced a new partnership with Snap Inc., which is the company that owns Snapchat. Mm -hmm. um, the deal is going to result in coverage of F1 races on Snapchat's cur curated editorial platform, Discover, um, and that includes this weekend's British Grand Prix. Wow. So there's the deal will also cover races in Singapore, Japan, uh, Austin, Mexico, Brazil, and Abu Dhabi. So it's not everywhere. But this is Formula One, or the Formula One group, actually recognizing that social has to play a part. Well, yeah, that's pretty incredible that they've, they've done this kind of partnership. It's also a very unique one because one of the things that makes Snapchat particularly difficult for marketers is that things live and die in a very short window, which I think makes it a brilliant move to be the partnership because they're, they're putting their toes into the social media market, but they're not putting their toes into things that last forever. Yeah. So it's an interesting concept. So there's been some doings over at Salvin. They were sweeping out all of Monisha out of the corners of all of the factory and making sure that her tentacles do not touch the, the cars any longer? Yeah, pretty much. So for starters, team boss, the team boss, team principal has been announced. <coughs> not surprising, as a lot of folks expected. It is former... Uh, Renault chief Frederick Vasseur, who okay. left the team back in December due to differences in opinion regarding the direction of the, the organization. Oh, so he butted heads with Monisha and... No, this uh, Renault. Oh. That he left. Okay, he left Renault for differences of opinion. Right. Okay. Um, so not a surprise there. But we're getting a little more information about why Monisha left. Because they pointed to the door and said, get out? Well, it was why, did they, why they told her to do that. And in a nutshell, it appears that the folks over at Longbow, who you know have the controlling interest in the team, did not necessarily agree with Monisha's choices when it came to um, prioritizing the team's finances over development and performance in the car and on the track namely the honda deal which according to multiple sources has been called off oh wow there, there is no firm commitment from or, or firm confirmation from the team that the deal is not going forward however frederick vasseur this week among other things said that one of his big priorities is to sort out what is going on with honda he freely admits that the contract has not yet been signed nice so they can undo that mess yes longbow's position is that um, they are extremely alarmed and disturbed by what Honda has done to McLaren's reputation and their performance, and they do not want to be in a similar situation. Whoa. Yeah. All righty. Well, I have, that'll do it. 
I mean, I would have thought that her days were numbered when she tried to put four butts in two seats, but this this one is um we questioned that decision when it came became announced. Like why would you take on the losing engine? Well, there was but it's not just that though. That's part of it. The other you've got to imagine is just like a good chunk of Formula One and the pundits, I'm pretty sure that Longbow doesn't appreciate the fact that they've got last year's engine that isn't getting updates, isn't working as well as this year's engine, and put them on a back foot from the start of the season. Yeah. I completely understand, and I agree. So we're, we're coming up on the mid-season break. Mm-hmm which means this is about the time that teams and drivers are thinking about their future and where they're going to be. It means we are very clearly in silly season. So for starters, we've got to look at Ferrari. Ferrari. Yeah, because the question, once again, and, and we've been here before, is what's the deal with Kimmy? Was it not one of our pr- predictions this year as to whether or not Kimmy would finally retire? Well, we don't know about that. But what we do know is that um, Sergio Marchione is not happy with Kimmy's performance so far this season. Coming out of Austria, he called Kimmy a bit of a laggard. I heard that reported that he was uh, name reduced down to name calling. Yeah, so Kimmy's comments about this is, obviously I want to do well. My team wants to do well, and I can only do the best that I can. It's not like I'm not trying. Unfortunately, it's not been very straightforward sometimes, but that's part of the plan, and we keep pushing, and I'm sure things will work out better. I'm really glad that you translated that, because when Kimmy said it, it sounded like... Well, it... Yeah. Um, So then the question naturally is, well, who takes that seat? Well, we've been trying to give away Kimmy's seat for two straight years. So One of the rumors that's been flying around has been maybe Fernando. Why? Well, Fernando, it it doesn't help that, you know, Fernando came and said that, you know, he was open to anything for next year, you know, because he he doesn't want to be at McLaren if McLaren's not going to win something this year, which means he's not going to be at McLaren next year. So he said, you know, he was open to anything. Um, Sergio Marchione, on the other hand, has said that uh, he Fernando's already been told Fernand, uh, that Ferrari's not interested in him. Um, Marchione says, Alonso may well have shown the desire to return, but he did not find the right response from our side. We're not interested. All right, so Big Red has uh, slammed the door in Fernando's face. He's also dismissed speculation of a pre-contract being already in place with Max Verstappen for the longer term because we know Max isn't happy. Max hasn't finished something like seven of his last nine races going into this weekend. I know. Isn't that crazy? And Max is livid over this. Well, so what Marchione had to say about that is, as for Verstappen, we have not signed anything. Before the end of the year, you'll know. 
Well, at least we know by Abu Dhabi. We'll know. Yeah. Which maybe. Yeah, maybe. So the other one that last week we speculate on was Daniel Kavia. Mm-hmm. Well, interestingly enough, clearly Christian Horner was listening. Well, he does. You know, which, he texts which, me every so often and tell me it would do a good job with the show. No, I was unaware. You need to share this stuff with me more often. <laughs> I, I need this kind of confirmation. I mean, I doubt we will ever get audio of Christian on the pit wall. I don't think he'll take that call like he does Channel 4, but, you know. I, well, he does tell me that we're not contracted at such a level to get the phone call from Christian, but that they have offered up a janitor at Brackley. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, next time we can talk to Colin. Let's let's try that. <laughs> but we speculated on Daniel Kvyat's future because he hasn't well, been that great. And apparently, word came out this week that Daniel Kvyat has officially been tagged by the driver, his fellow drivers, with the nickname Torpedo. Oh my, that's not a good sign. Yeah, they're not happy with him. Um, but that's been the question is, what's Daniel's position? Well, Christian Horner says that they intend to keep Daniel at Toro Rosso next year. Really? That uh, they, they plan on, on activating that contract and, or that extension and moving forward on that. Daniel this week said, um, yeah, it's great that Christian's saying it, but I don't have the paper. Yeah, news to I me. I kind of really want the paper. If, if I don't have the paper, I'm going to go look somewhere else. So sign it or stop telling everybody I'm not available. So let's talk about Mercedes. Mercedes. Should we talk about, well, actually, let's talk about Australia. Or, or, um, you did it. Bound to happen. You did it. Austria. <laughs> yes. And Valtteri's start. Oh, the big controversy of Valtteri's start. First off, Valtteri admits that what he did was he guessed, and he guessed right. He, he, he took a risk. He, he guessed based on the sequence when was going to be the right time, and he let go. And, and it was a huge risk because if he was wrong, it would have been a jump start, and he would have been penalized. But he nailed it just right, and it's probably something that— we may never see again from a driver. I mean, it, it's that rare to pull off what he did. Now, every video of this shows this incredibly amazing start. Incredibly amazing start and also shows when they zoom in that their, Valtteri's car was, in fact, moving before the lights went out. Correct. However... The explanation from the FIA, and the FIA's data system suggests that BOTUS had reacted within 0.201 seconds of the lights going out. It was fast. The FIA has explained that some movement before the lights go out is allowed because of the need occasionally for drivers to make adjustments to their clutch in these moments before the start. The computer system that monitors this has been in place for 20 years and has been accepted by all competitors. Um, the, an FIA spokesman said that any movement observed on Botus's car between the five lights being on and then 
them going out was within this allowed limit, which is why he was not deemed to have done anything wrong. In today's instance, Valtteri Bottas did not exceed this very small limit before the start was given. Simply put, he made an exceptionally accurate and fortuitous judgment call, anticipating the moments the lights went out with great precision. Any movement prior to the moment the lights went out was within the tolerances allowed. Now, the key piece is that the FIA does not disclose what tolerance is allowed before it takes action. And they do this because they don't want the teams to try and figure out how to exploit this to boost their starts. Right. So that's why they don't tell anyone what it is. But they say this was within it. And, yeah, 0.201 seconds. I mean, that's that's immense. You have to you have to give the credit to Botas. Not that I think that he planned for how precise that had to be. I think he's right. He guessed and he guessed right. But wow. Now the reality was, even if he was rolling point two zero whatever zero two seconds or whatever that tolerance was mm-hmm. before the lights actually went out. By the time they hit turn one, he was so clearly ahead of Vettel that I don't think that that little bitty motion affected what happened down the way. Well, I I think that Seb's feeling is that jump was that much more momentum that the car had on it. And that it wasn't starting from a dead stop. And because of that, that gave him a little, it gave him better acceleration. Okay, and Seb had a really bad start, so yeah, yeah moving on. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other thing is, there was a, an analysis that was done by Channel 4, and I love to listen to the differences between the way people feel about the rules and the enforcement of the rules. And this one, I believe, comes down to drivers versus owners the the debate occurred between eddie jordan prior owner of an f1 team Mm -hmm. susie wolf driver and david cothard former driver and the thought was did valtteri jump the start that's the question and Mm -hmm. it seems like that's such a black and white question the driver's answer was, both of them, Susie and Cothard were like in lockstep with their answer, of no, there was no penalty applied. The FIA ruled that it was not a jump start. Therefore, it was not a jump start. Eddie Jordan was the one that comes back and says, well, you can't be almost pregnant. He was clearly moving before the the lights went out. And we saw the video. We saw the video and confirmed, yes, he was clearly moving before the lights went out. Therefore, he was clearly jumping the, the start. And I just find that absolutely fascinating to me. Bec- but- because what is the definition of the jump start? Is it being penalized for the jump start, being caught, or is it actually doing the deed? But David Cothard also turned around and said if it wasn't for that tolerance that was there and that understanding that there is always going – there needs to be some level of movement happens for these little minute changes. Without that understanding there, we would have jump starts at every single race. Correct. And probably with a lot of drivers. Correct. 
So I mean, I think that that's it. That and that's why there's a tolerance there, and more power to the FIA for realizing that they have to have a tolerance there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are so hardline on so many things that I think are stupid. Um, I find that that's at least one of those. Okay, well, we're not going to share what the tolerance is because we don't want you to anticipate it, but we understand you got to be able to to adjust your clutch, and that's going to cause movement in the wheels. So let's talk some Toto Wolf. Toto. I won't even get into Toto and Eddie Jordan just yet. Oh, I thought that's where you were going. No, actually, Toto came out and said after uh, Austria that in the last two races, they have failed Lewis. (sighs) He he says that um, Lewis has had all the bad luck that you can have. They've let him down with the headrest, and they let him down with the gearbox, and now it's about time to fight back, and hopefully that's going to happen at Silverstone. Because the reality is, really, they've put a big crimp on Lewis's title chances. I know. Over stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. I agree. But, you know, he got a lot of bad luck last year, too, and fortunately they were able to keep the title within Mercedes, but... You know, that's – this isn't the first year Lewis has suffered bad luck. This no, is just stupid bad luck. Yeah. But this is what, third or fourth season that Lewis's title chances have been hampered by own goal type stuff? Mm-hmm. I mean, 2012, Lewis had a really good chance. He had the fastest car on the grid, and McLaren had some of the worst pit stops around. And that knocked him out. We had last year the reliability issues. Lewis was the one who kept getting nailed with them. Mm -hmm. This year, again, it's it's these weird, well, I don't want to say weird failure because last week was just a gearbox. And Mercedes has admitted they went a little risky on the gearbox and both drivers have now paid the price for that. And they have changed the spec on that now. Because Botas is facing the penalty this weekend. Yeah. So um, now a couple of weeks ago, we heard Eddie Jordan, mm-hmm. pontificator extraordinaire of all things. And you have said that about 70 percent of what he comes out with his early news is right on. Yeah. And he came out and he said two absolutely mic dropping predictions about Mercedes. Oh, this was big, big bombshell. One, he said that Mercedes was going to be losing their prime sponsor, their title sponsor next year, Patronus. Patronus. When Patronus left, UBS was going to go with them, which is their other big sponsor. And as a result of all of this happening, Mercedes was going to get out of the business of being a uh, racing team and just be an engine constructor and sell the team to somebody else. And Toto Wolf got really kind of ticked over this. Yeah, Toto was... Um it was cryptic responses, I will tell you, because he's led with, are you in my office? Mm-hmm. Which seems to think of Jordan has some piece of information that Toto did not want to be public, followed quickly by, it is untrue. Fake news. Fake news, he called it. Not real. All right. So, 
Saturday morning of this weekend, of the, the British Grand Prix weekend, Toto Wolf appeared on Channel 4 with Eddie Jordan to announce that they have signed a multi-year deal in excess of two years. He would not say how long it was. All he would say is that it was in excess of two years with Patronus to remain as their title sponsor because the deal was supposed to be up in 2018. So at least through 2020, Patronus will be around. And Eddie said, how many years? And Toto responded, many. Yes, multiple times he said many. And, but he confirmed it was more than two years. Correct. So it seems like Eddie rolled the dice and fell on the 30% side this time. Well, maybe it was somebody who was trying to spin Eddie up. I mean, we have seen. I mean, Eddie, James Allen is another one who has some really good ties and really good connections in Formula One. And sometimes their sources feed them stories that, are not the most accurate. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they don't get it right quite often and more often than not, but and I still think they're worth listening to, but that's what I think happened here. Sure. I think I think you're right. So I did want to talk really quick about Haas and Our... Kevin Magnuson's failure. They're still struggling with brakes. And... They really need to go to the Napa Auto Parts store and get new brakes. Yeah, but... Kevin Magnuson's failure was actually, it was a hydraulic failure that took him out of Austria last week. Um, According to Gunther Steiner, what happened was a hydraulic pipe was shaved through. The pipe was going to the DRS system, and he lost all the hydraulic fluid, so that was it. He lost all the hydraulics, the gear shift didn't work, and there was no oil anymore. It looks like the pipe was touching on a washer, and after a while they bumped together and it shaved the pipe. He says it was a new installation with a rear wing, with a new rear wing, which they put on in Baku, which is why it didn't happen before. They know what the issue is, and they're going to fix it, though. Well, let's hope that they have better results in Silverstone. This past week was an event that I am really hoping happens a lot more often. Mm-hmm. I think a perfect place to do this. Um, for starters, is Austin. But I would hope that Formula One, recognizing that there is more to racing in America than Austin, does this in other locations in the United States. Uh, Formula One this past week held an event, first time ever, called Formula One Live. Did it in downtown London. Um, All 10 teams were represented, which is the first time apparently in the history of Formula One that all 10 teams have taken place together or all 10 teams have gathered to take part in an off-track event. Wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's the first time that teams have ever done that. Um, So there were a wide variety of cars that were brought out. All of the drivers, with the exception of Lewis Hamilton, were present. All of the drivers. Now, given that Lewis is English and very proud Englishman at that, it has made a bit of headlines over that. Mm-hmm. Um, Lewis has said that, well, you know, we had back-to-back re- races. It's been a rough season. I'm tired. I had a vacation scheduled, and I went to do my vacation. Max Verstappen turned around and said that if he missed an event in his home country, his fans would have him shot. 
Well, apparently <laughs> the Dutch are a wee bit more uh, bitter than the English because there looked to be no love lost for the fact that Hamilton did not attend while he was at qualifying at Silverstone. Yeah. Now, in a way, the pundits on Channel 4 also mentioned that while they don't think Hamilton would ever miss another one of these events, it was actually a good thing overall because Hamilton is such a superstar that he probably would have overshadowed every other driver. In in England, he might have. And in, in a way, he kind of got to so. share the stage. Yeah, in, in other countries, I don't think so. Um, but, you know, I would hope that uh, Formula One considers in the build-up to uh, Austin that they consider doing similar events. You know, New York, I think, would be a great option. Detroit might be a, a decent option with its motor heritage. Indianapolis and L.A., I think, all would be really good options for an event like this. I think that since we showed such great success hosting large events, Cleveland would be an outstanding option. Yeah, from a motorsports perspective, I don't know about that. But maybe Honda could work something out. You know, Honda does a lot around IndyCar. Mm-hmm. And technically, when we go to Mid-Ohio, that is a home race for them because they've got the uh, NSX plant and performance facility in Marysville, Ohio. It is also the Honda IndyCar 200. Yeah, but several races are... the. Race in Toronto is also the Honda IndyCar race in Toronto. So Honda is a title sponsor for several IndyCar races. That, that's why I caution you on that <laughs> one. <laughs> um, Nico Rosberg was also there in, in, in place of Lewis. Oh. And one of the things that fans got to experience, which you don't normally get unless you're on the track, is um, you got to experience being showered by champagne by a driver. Alrighty, because <laughs> Valtteri w- was standing on top of a car spraying the big championship bottle of champagne through the crowd. Oh, that's among nice. other things. But there were driving cars on the street, and it was a wide variety of heritage cars that were being run. It it sounded really really cool. I think that we are seeing the 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 shift, the dynamic shift in Formula One marketing that's occurring as a result of the Liberty Media Buy. We're seeing things open up and become more fan-centric. We're seeing things that we as fans have been calling for in so very many ways and things that have been just so universally denied by Bernie. And it's you're watching much like we we, I was Mm -hmm. teasing about Monisha being swept out of the corners of the Sauber garage. We're watching the things that were Bernie strongholds getting pushed out Mm -hmm. and they're cleaning up and they're saying we're not doing it that way anymore. And these are giant. Now we're doing it new ways. And I think that that's a phenomenal thing. I think that the success and the the buzz over Formula One Live is so big. I will be ecstatic to see that start to roll out to future races, future venues, future places. Well, the other thing that this was, overall, th- this was a message from the city of London in particular to Formula One group. Mm-hmm. Because as predicted this week, and regardless what Eddie Jordan has to say about it, as predicted this week, 
Silverstone and the British Racing Drivers Club exercised their exit clause for their contract for hosting the British Grand Prix. Right. Now, speaking this week at um, at Formula One Live, um, Chase Carey freely admitted, and, and I bet I guess he was uh, on air live with Eddie Jordan and said, there will be a British Grand Prix in 2020. Yes. Didn't say where, but he did say there will be a British Grand Prix. London is, and has been for a while, and the law has been changed now to allow it, but London has been pushing for a race mm-hmm. in a, a downtown race. They already host a Formula E race that, from what I hear, is very successful. So they're pushing for a race. It doesn't necessarily mean that if we have a British Grand Prix that it can, and, and that's the message to Silverstone is, yeah, we get what you're trying to do, but you're not the only show in town. Right. And I don't think that Silverstone is denying that they're not the only show in town. I think that they're just pushing to renegotiate the contract. And quite frankly, I think both sides will be reasonable. I think that it will all work out. Um, there may be some nod to see what they can do for London um, as well. You know, more cross events and things mm-hmm. like that. But I, I'm hard pressed to imagine that Silverstone will not continue to have the race. Um, but I do believe that they have to renegotiate the contract. Now, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the possibility of maybe selling Silverstone to Formula One Group and making it the the true home mm-hmm. of Formula One. Well, Silverstone's come out and said that, uh, yeah, that, that's really not an option. Okay. It's not something that they're interested in. Um, John Grant, who's the chairman of the BRD, said, we're basically open to consider all alternatives with Liberty to find a sustainable and viable future for the Grand Prix. But we have also said in recent months that it is the BRDC's strategic decision not to sell Silverstone Circuit. We don't think we need to sell it. We see ourselves as the guardians of British motorsport. We think having the BRDC retain ownership of Silverstone helps achieve that long-term objective. So selling Silverstone is not actually on our agenda at the moment. Now, Formula One management, and and this is something that that Eddie Jordan was talking about on the Channel 4 coverage, um, they have accused Silverstone of posturing in its decision. Um, Supposedly, and I did not know this, um, Formula One Group gave Silverstone the option to extend out the period when they could exercise this break clause. Mm-hmm. Um, th- they're upset because Silverstone has elected to make this public that they're doing this. Um, and Eddie Jordan has also, that's one of the things that he's complained about is, you know, these are negotiations. You do negotiations behind a door. Why are you going and making these statements to the media? Why did you get out there and why did you do this? Um Silverstone's sporting director, Stuart Pringle, insists that the BRDC had not taken the decision lightly and is aware of the risk of losing the, BR- the, the, the race entirely. He says, no, no one likes running races more than the BRDC. We put on the event and we are conscious of the implications of our actions today. But we have reached the tipping point. We recognize that one of the possible outcomes of this is no British Grand Prix after 2019. And that would be a monumental chain, or excuse me, a monumental shame. Um, he says that he, he 
threw out suggestions that they could have waited till after the, the race to make the announcement. He said, it's actually a legal question. We only have one opportunity until our contract run out, runs out to break the contract and stop losing money, and that is after the 2019 event. We have to give two years' notice on that, and the last day we can give that notice is the last day before this event starts. We had no choice for that. Yeah. We want the race to stay. I do. I mean, this is this is a race of all kinds of different moments. You, you know, you've you've got Lewis, and Lewis is very proud of this. He's he, he's as we mentioned, he's a proud Englishman. He loves this race. We always have to play this clip every year. <laughs> as he won back in what was that, 2013? Yes. But I mean, for for the English, there's all kinds of iconic moments around Silverstone and the one that they always talk about is the one wh- where Nigel Mansell won in the Williams and everyone jumped over the fences and flooded him uh, flooded the track as he was on his cool down lap at the end of the race and him with the flag wave I mean a very patriotic moment for the English we're not as long-term fans as many of them. So we have our own, some of our own moments as to why we like Silverstone. You know, things like this. Danny Ricardo, you're just personalizing your trophy by dropping it on the floor. I don't think that's quite what you intended to do, oh, but... No, I def- yeah, I definitely ruined it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really damaged. It'll be worth much more money in the future. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. And it's quite simple, so at least it's got some detail now. It looks like you can pour something out of it now, so maybe champagne a little bit later. Yeah, or just straight scotch, I think. <laughs> Then, you know, it, it, it's known for changing weather and things get – and we saw that today. Mm-hmm. And we've heard from David Cothard about this. Well, also what's ridiculous is the changing weather. It's now freezing cold <laughs> from being <laughs> boiling hot earlier. It's welcome to British summertime, isn't yeah. it, really? You're actually shaking. I am. You're I'm Scottish, co- for goodness sake, man. He doesn't up. live in this climate <laughs> anymore. He doesn't I'm, live here. I'm upwind. I'm like a windbreak for you two. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> That was one of my favorite moments with Susie and David Cothard. And, and and probably your other favorite moments is is one of the better grid walks. And, and why, once again, we're going to throw it out there that Jensen Button needs to be a commentator. Yes. Now, JB, um, I had a word. You off, can I? I, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm, everywhere. I, I, you're like a magnet. I keep coming to you. Um, yeah. Difficult. Oh. I find it difficult to ask you when you're right down the back there, but you're, you're going to have some fun at the start, aren't you? See, the only reason why he's interviewing me is because I've come up for the national anthem. He wouldn't go all the way back down there. It's too far for you, isn't it? At my age, definitely, but you're young and fit. You do triathlon. Possibly one of the most hilarious grid walks that we've ever had. It was almost like an advert for Tinder with those two on the grid. You can imagine a night out with Jensen and DC. <laughs> I, I would love to have a night out with <laughs> Jensen and DC. Um, sadly, I feel like I might be a third wheel. And I mean, this is all the reasons why Silverson has to stay. I know. But Jensen particularly, and if you have an opportunity this year at Silverston, Channel 4 invited JB to do some, well, he was working with Honda, and so they interviewed him extensively, and he did the driver's interview after um, – the qualifying, and quite frankly, the man is phenomenal. He's got an amazing sense of humor. He's got a great rapport. Yeah. He he is 
a, a perfect compliment to the dri- the former drivers as commentators group of the Mark Webbers and the David Cothards. Well, that's it. I think that that's a really great combination is a David Cothard, Mark Webber, Jensen Button team. And we saw that in qualifying over on Channel 4. Although, in reality, what we really saw was um, Mark and David stepping back because it was the Jensen show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he just he just took over, and he shines. He just shines. Um, props to Jensen. Just definitely props to Jensen. Think you should be a commentator. Um, if you've not considered that as a career opportunity, we would invite you to you know test your chops on the bro- the bloke and the bird show. Sure, I'm I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. That would definitely raise our game up a lot. <laughs> we might have to do show prep. I know. <laughs> so this week, and we mentioned this last week. This week uh, was the first appearance of the shield concept for the 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 cockpit. Sebastian Vettel drove it uh, just as expected on an installation lap. It was one single at lap. It was fitted on the car. Now, if you'll recall, when we talked about this last week, we looked at the concept and I said, you know, this has got a lot of curved glass and curved material. And that kind of thing tends to lead to some distortion. So I, I got to kind of wonder what the visibility is like here, and, and is that going to be a problem? So what we got is we got good feedback from Seb on this. Oh, His really? exact words on this. I tried it this morning, and I got a bit dizzy. The forward vision is not very good. I think it's because of the curvature. You get quite a bit of distortion. There was a lot of downwash down the straight coming off the back of my helmet and pushing my hel- my head forward. We had a run planned with it, but I didn't like it, so we took it off. Wow, go you for predicting what the problem with the shield was going to be. Uh-huh. I knew I knew you had aerodynamic uh, leanings. So I think there's a couple of issues here. Um Clearly, this is modeled on a fighter jet type of canopy, mm-hmm. the, the way they're doing it. Um, but I think where they have fallen on it is that fighter jet canopies, I believe, are a bit taller than this. So where a pilot is looking through a canopy and, and looking around, they're not looking at the same locations in the curvature. Um, there's more straight glass where, or, or whatever the, the material is for them to see through without that distortion and without that in place. And the driver's focus is set typically, I think, at a pretty even level, and that's having an impact. Well, also keep in mind that a fighter jet's canopy will be closed at the tippy top, so there wouldn't be airflow coming in. Well, that's one of the other issues, and that's one of the things that you've got to wonder about this concept is – what kind of aerodynamic testing was done prior to putting it on the car to figure out whether or not, A, there was going to be an issue with that air swirling around and and affecting the driver's head, and B, given that the intake for the engine is right over the driver's head, how is this canopy affecting that airflow? Oh, true. True. There's there's a lot of questions with that, but... Okay, so he didn't like it. Let's go back to the drawing board again because I'm still telling you that Halo sucks. 
Oh, I agree with that. And, and nobody's saying let's go back to the Halo. But I got to wonder what kind of testing did they actually do and what kind of design work did they look at here before rolling the thing out? Computer design? But even that, they should. there's some smart people in F1. They, they should have thought about what the air was going to do as it was deflected around this thing. And it doesn't sound like back of a napkin and said, let's do this. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound like they've done that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody drew it on the back of a napkin and said, well, let's get another test out and let's show that this doesn't work either and move on with our lives. Okay. Well, that's all we've got. I would say it's a short show, but somehow we still managed to, to, pull this out to an hour but we have not seen the race yet we have only watched qualifying once again so we're going to call this a show so that we can get down and watch the race and catch up with the rest of you people and on that we're going to cue barbie we are so glad you came bye 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 now bye 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 remember please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle thank you okay bye bye now bye 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 <laughs> okay are they all gone uh, is, is there is everybody gone <laughs> huh good Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a 